0: Hello, this is Raven Six, Colonel Matthew Ryan James, commander of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team, the Cascade Rifles. Being a Cascade Rifle means being committed to being the best warrior American can put on the battlefield in every possible way. This podcast, along with our other media efforts, is designed to help build the individual soldier and the potential soldier to be as effective as possible on today's battlefield. The guests we will have on are premier leaders in warfare and human capital, from leadership to information operations to recruiting, fitness,
1: and social media, this podcast is committed to building our soldiers and our listenership to be all that they can be. Thank you for listening with us.
0: On the inaugural episode of the Raven Report, we have a very special guest, John Daly. He's the Director of Training and Education Branch of the Marine Corps Forces Special Operation Command. He is also an editor for the Marine Raider Association magazine, The Raider Patch and he's the senior editor for the Lethal Minds Journal. In 2005, then-Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld announced the creation of the Marine Corps Special Operations Command. John was one of the original members of the unit. This is his story. We have a professional obligation for the ethical application of uh, of force. You can
1: have a growth mindset where you're always achieving for better. This is about us, about our guard, our reputation. We are all in this together.
0: Outthink, outmaneuver, and outfight the
1: enemy. If you wage war, do it energetically and with severity. This is the only way to make it shorter and
2: consequently less inhumane.
0: All right, I'm Chaplain Brandon Sanders. I'm uh, pleased to uh, introduce to you guys the uh, Raven Report podcast that will also uh, go along with our, our Substack. Uh, today, to get us started, we have a very uh, special guest, Mr. John Daly. Uh, one of the or- original second round uh, uh, Marine Raiders. Uh, so, John, why don't you uh, introduce yourself?
1: Hey, well, Brandon, first, thanks for having me on. I truly appreciate the opportunity. Um, so, yeah, John Daly. I was born and raised on kind of on the Virginia West Virginia border. Um, joined the Marine Corps at 17. I couldn't couldn't get away fast enough. Uh, <laughs> And had the good fortune to to have had a, a pretty unique career. I started in the in the infantry, um, but by kind of a fluke, I, I early pretty early on got put into a sniper platoon, um, and was able to, to relatively early train as a sniper. And always with the the dream that I had of of making it to force reconnaissance. Um, so I was able to do that, and then uh, as you mentioned in. Shortly after 9/11, uh, the Secretary of Defense directed the Marine Corps to stand up a special operations unit that would work for the United States Special Operations Command. I had uh, had the good fortune to be picked to serve in that unit and uh, retired. You know, as uh, shortly after MARSOC, the Raiders stood up and and wouldn't leave, uh, so they they wound up giving me a job at the school, and I've I've been there ever since.
0: So you're an instructor now at Marsock School.
1: I'm the Training and Education Branch Director, so I don't get to instruct as much as I would like, but I get to oversee a, a staff of, of about 250 instructors and and make sure they're, they're trained and and prepared to to teach students.
0: Okay, okay, that's pretty cool. So um, why the Marines? Because like you know, given you, well, what, what part of you said West Virginia, Virginia?
1: Yes, uh, I was born and raised uh, near Leesburg, okay. Virginia, right up near Harper's Ferry. It's yeah, kind of okay. the, right at the the dividing line, really, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland. Um, okay. And uh, right before high school, my family moved into West Virginia, just across the border. So in oh, Hedgesville, okay. a, a town, very few, Musselman, uh, if you've ever had Musselman applesauce, that,
2: uh, we're <laughs> okay, kind of known right.
1: for that.
0: <laughs> right 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 so um okay so like why the marines not like the army or somebody else
1: good question my father was in the navy didn't uh the navy didn't get great reviews from him um you didn't get along with your your dad <laughs> no i i got along with him he just oh. he didn't get along with the navy uh, <laughs> right 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 no. I mean, he did I did a couple of years uh you know during during vietnam and and you know did his time and got out um Right. But yeah, the, the living on a ship all the time. I don't. I didn't quite put together that as a marine, we'd still get to live <laughs> on live ship on quite a bit. <laughs> but uh, it was initially a toss-up. You know, I learned about uh, the special forces and first, and I, I think I went to the, I think I went to the army recruiter. But before, and I talk about this um, story in my the the book. But uh, right. when I was a kid. Um, it was the bicentennial, so 1776 was like a big, big thing all around uh, right. America. I, I was a, a little kid, but uh, that was the first time I saw a Marine who probably would have been, you know, either you know coming home from Vietnam or, or um, but in his dress blues, walking through this this parade, and I was I was kind of struck then, you know, with the. So I'd always had in the back of my head that uh, I wanted to be a Marine, and then when I found out that the Marines had something similar to the uh Green Berets, the special forces I...
0: you were all in.
1: Oh yeah. I was like sign me up.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, like everybody kind of bemoans like uniforms and stuff like that. But the Marines by far have, have not only have, they probably have the best looking class A uniforms, yeah. but they also have been like married to, it. you know, the Army just, just rolled out their new AS or ASUs or G G C S Us, whatever mm-hmm. they want to call it. Um and they keep changing it. Um, but you never think about like, uh, that long-term branding that, that those, uh, oh, yeah. those uniforms do. It's pretty, pretty impressive because it obviously landed you and you're now instructing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Um, so it was, I was seven years old, I think. Uh, yeah. and I was like, man, that's kind of knew what I, I was, I was set for life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So, okay. Um, so you, you know, like you, you see the Marine, you, you joined what year, what year did you join? 87. 87 okay all right so what was the marines like then compared to now
1: man it was uh quite a quite a bit different there was still a lot of uh, vietnam era folks especially the senior enlisted uh you know folks um there had been a real from what i gather like a real you know a lot of trouble right 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 at the end of, of vietnam people didn't want to be there the draft was still going on there was a lot of disgruntled people a lot of drugs Um, that was, was mostly gone. Um, but there were still the, you know, the, the E8C9s, you know, when you would talk to them because most of the time as a, you know, E3, E4, you would never even consider talking to them. But once in a while they, you know, the first sergeant would, would start talking about, you know, Vietnam. And, uh, that was, that's, I mean, that's what I grew up on, you know, every, um, you know, Every you know Rambo, Chuck Norris, every movie, every you know TV show, Magna PI, and Higgins went back to Vietnam to like rescue POWs. Everybody
2: was right, right. Every, you know,
1: so that was really, I mean, all of our training was was uh, you know related to to uh, you know Vietnam, lessons learned for Vietnam. So that was the the focus and and kind of what you know everybody expected the next war to be. And right. then it it turned out to be the um in the middle of the desert, you know.
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> it's like
0: uh, there's an old saying that like a general's always fighting the last war or whatever. Yeah,
1: like, exactly. That was a lot yeah, of and there all our schools, all our training was you know training you to prepare for for jungle jungle warfare. You know, we invested heavily. Obviously, we have bases in uh, Okinawa, um, you know, training in Guam. The you know the, all the, the army training, uh down to Panama you know everything right. was was really uh jungle focused and yeah then we find ourselves in the
0: in Kuwait, <laughs> in the desert yeah, yeah all right. was that your first uh well i guess that would have been your first deployment if you joined in eighty seven wars in ninety one so.
1: um no so i uh well i deployed to, two you know non combat deployment to okinawa um and then because nothing was happening, i signed up for uh, the thing we call Marine Security Guard duty okay. at embassies.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I,
1: I kind of got duped into it. I was led to believe that it was a little bit, a uh, little bit different than it was, but it wound up being a great, uh, great opportunity. So I went to Budapest for a year and worked at the embassy, and I was there when the wall fell down in wow. '89. So it was a really interesting time, and then uh, went to Buenos Aires and was was there for a year and a half, and I was there throughout the the Gulf War. Right. So I, I came back from that, um, you know, was, everybody had, uh, you know, two rows of ribbons, you know, I still had like one or two. Um, right. So that was, a, I was, I was pretty disappointed that I, you know, I felt like I'd really missed my shot.
0: Right, right. So, okay. So like the uh, Gulf War and, well, I guess like, like, I don't want to glance over the fact that, that you were in Europe whenever the wall fell, like in uniform. What was, yeah. What was that like?
1: It was, uh. So in in Budapest, it was they had cut the wire, you know, between them and, and Austria, and de- declared themselves free. The Russian troops were were leaving, um, so it was it was a really really unique time. But as far as the kind of embassy, you know, regulations that we lived under, not a lot of changed. Right, right. Makes um, us you know change is slow, obviously. But uh, I did have the the insanely unique opportunity we were going myself another marine and then uh, two girls that we were going out with well, one of them who's i've been married to for 30 years oh, but really? we, were, we were dating at the time an american who was a school teacher that i met in budapest um right. who actually grew up you know in mm-hmm. pittsburgh so just a couple hours up the road from me but uh I didn't meet her until, until the other side of the world but um it's interesting we were going to take a trip uh kind of across Europe. And the morning that we were leaving, we saw in the international newspaper that there's going to be this big concert in Berlin and we were going to be in Berlin. So it was uh the wall concert, like played oh. at the wall. Um okay. but but played by uh you know stars who were, were kind of the stars at the time, Cindy Lauper, um the Hooters, uh Roger Waters from from uh, The Who. Uh so they played the the whole uh Uh, music from the movie the wall from the album uh it was a really cool really cool uh time
0: yeah did you write write about that in the book i suppose
1: um i don't i did not no no i didn't i should have yeah yeah explore (laughs) that that's for. yeah that's it was a really neat i've written about it but i think that's something for another Another book hopefully yeah yeah there you go (laughs) Yeah, so
0: uh yeah, that's super, super interesting. So okay, um the wall fell falls, you've run over with an American school teacher that you had to import to uh <laughs> to, to Europe to meet. Uh, yeah. then what happens?
1: Um I went like I said to uh Argentina. You know, yeah. still the, the way we do it, we work at two embassies for you know roughly a year, year and a half each. Um I came back from that and was sent this time to the desert um to in the 29 palms california which is one of our biggest base but uh, our less fun i guess you could say it's kind of kind of out in the middle of nowhere but i was in a a sniper platoon there and uh while i was there had a lot of you know unique opportunities got to go to army ranger school um, and then jump school Yeah. yeah yeah and then uh this was still all in preparation because I really knew that I wanted to be in reconnaissance. Um, right. so I was there for only about, about two years and then went to, uh, was able to try out and, and make it into the force recon.
0: Okay. So, yeah. So like, what was, uh, coming from a, a Marine background, what was like Ranger school like for you?
1: Um, yeah, I really had no idea what it was when I uh, <laughs> said, you know, I wanted to try out. I knew it was a hard, you know, hard thing to do. So, um and it was unusual for, for Marines to get the opportunity to go. Yeah. So, we had we had been given, I think, the division, the, the first Marine division had been given, like, 15 slots.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, at 29 Palms, they're like, hey, if you want to try out for these slots, show up on Monday morning. And Monday morning, there's, like, 500 people there. And then oh, by wow. the time we go to... By the time we go to lunch, there's like 12 of us (laughs) left. So they spent about two weeks kind of weeding us down. And then they sent us down to Camp Pendleton where there was, you know, another 500 guys. And eventually we, we got weeded down to about uh, about 10 of us that that went. So I think we were one of the things about being, I I think with anybody, you know, if you get sent to someone else's school, you're, you 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 can't, you, you, you better do well. So, we were really, really well prepared before we went. Um, the I mean, ranger school, I think, I know it's changed a little bit and you know, I have a lot of friends who are, are, rangers. Um, but it's, I mean, it's a really good, you learn more about yourself than, right. um, you, than I probably have anywhere else, you know, you have to lead while you're, while you're tired, while you're hungry and the people that you're leading are tired and hungry. Right. And if you didn't do, a, didn't do a good job, you know, on, um, you know when they were in charge then you know it's kind of tough to expect them to do a good job while you're in charge
0: yeah my old boss used to he would hammer he said like um the uh the guy that that earns your ranger tab is the guy next to you not you (laughs) kind of thing yeah you really help each other out
1: Uh yeah Yeah. definitely
0: yeah so uh that's pretty cool though that y'all had that kind of turnout though like you know like 500 dudes that like you know yeah, at Pen- i mean i know those are probably not exact numbers uh-huh. but yeah a large
1: yeah number. yeah and I'm, pro- I'm probably exaggerating a little bit but it was it was there were a lot of people that wanted to go because it was it was such a unique Experience. Uh, opportunity all right
2: yeah and then I we didn't...
1: got to go to jump school after if we hadn't you know if we and i don't i wasn't a jumper so i went straight from uh mm-hmm, straight ranger to, to jump school okay
0: cool yeah um all right so uh so you graded at ranger school i had no idea that you'd go to ranger school that's no. cool pretty cool like we have a um so the guard um like we 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 try to send as many people as we possibly can i just i actually just interviewed um another guy who uh he'll be on the podcast later he's a first sergeant who just graduated uh and saying like look hmm. i'm 43 years old and i'm a first sergeant if i can go why can't you go 19 year old. that's yeah. that's
1: that's impressive i mean yeah, that, but, that's
0: uh yeah the most the uh it's rough part, I mean, it guy is... that, that uh, i've ever seen go through yeah, I
1: was uh, probably mid twenties, you know, and it it it's it, pretty hard. it hurt me. So yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. He said his knees will never be right ever. Again. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we uh we try to push people through as much as we can, um, to, but like trying to get people to show up and and commit to at least sixty two days, likely more of just sheer misery. It can be kind of difficult. So it says a lot about you guys that you had that many people that wanted wanted to go. You know.
1: Yeah. And one thing I did before cuz I know somebody will uh will say what the hell is he talking about. I I, right. I said the Who and not Pink Floyd. Oh. <laughs> Roger okay. Waters was was with Pink Floyd, not the Who. <laughs> well,
2: well no. I just uh <laughs> right. there you go.
0: They um <laughs> so uh yeah, what do they what do they do to screen you guys?
1: Like um we went to, you know, they put us through uh, it kind of made ranger school seem easy <laughs> by comparison. <laughs> right. Um we just we did a lot of hiking, a lot of uh, you know knowledge tests like knots. Uh, some of it not didn't necessarily uh, apply to what
0: uh, what they were doing it was
1: necessary in ranger school, but it was just you know, we, uh, initially to weed us down. So a lot of you know PT runs at the top, right? You know, yeah, twenty five percent got to stay, everybody else had to leave. Right, so it it's was, something
0: uh, that's kind of like whittle down the the numbers, I guess. Yeah,
1: and then as we got uh, and really that's you know the thing that. Ranger School proves is that you'll, you'll keep showing up. Right? All <laughs> right. Um, and that's really, so they just made sure that, you know, we we're sending people that are going to keep, keep showing up, keep getting up, you know, when you get knocked down and,
2: right. And that's, right. you
1: know, I certainly credit, you know, uh, Ranger School with solidifying that, you know, in my mind as a, as a leadership trait that it doesn't matter how tired you are, how cold it is, how, uh, And it's one of the things that I took away from that later as a platoon sergeant is that, uh, you know, if if you, you know, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. Yeah. So, you know, combat should be easy, you know, because you should have done all of the things, um, you know, to a level that was, you know, uh, make sure that it's, that it's easy.
0: Yeah. It's the same thing with, like, uh, with hunting. It's like all your hunting should be done in the off season. Just show up and harvest. Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah, so, um, so you say you're in a sniper platoon. Is that is that now like you're at, you're gonna see my ignorance of the the Marine Corps? Is it same thing or different than uh, scout snipers?
1: Same, same. Okay. So yeah, we we about a well, if we we're 20, 25 person platoon um, responsible for both you know gathering information for the the battalion commander, mm-hmm. um, you know observation post uh, things of that nature. Right. And then for, for sniping.
0: Right. Yeah. So we have a a, a pretty active uh, sniper section, rather. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think they're probably quite at the same level as like, your scout snipers, obviously. But um, like they just went over to uh, the UK to teach. Uh, oh, their the Royal Marine snipers ha- uh, how to shoot and qualify on their weapons. Nice. Pretty cool. Um, yeah. The, we... uh,
2: one
1: of good i say one of the most well-regarded uh, sniper competitions in the in the U.S. is uh, National Guard competition.
0: Right uh, at Peck and Little Rock.
1: Yeah, we just had uh, our team that we sent has uh, I think got third place three years ago or two years ago to a you know, National Guard team or two National Guard teams. Then they got second, and then I think this year they you know, they they didn't win. They, they got third, I think, but they, uh, so it's a, I mean, it's a stiff competition and it's generally the, the national guard teams that take it.
0: I didn't have to pay you to uh, to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right. So, uh, okay. Like, so like you're a scout sniper, 29 palms. Mm -hmm. Then where do you go?
1: Uh, Then I I was able to try out and go to, to force recon. I married in the interim, so you know, my wife, who had only known, you know, the only thing she knew about the military was, uh, you know, me on an embassy's <laughs> in suits, you know, or, or dress blues, and you know, we drive out uh, from Pittsburgh in a, in my F one fifty with no air conditioning, you know, to through the you know, through the middle of the desert. Um, so yeah, she was she was happy when it was time to head down to, to Camp Pendleton on the coast. Right. So yeah, first force reconnaissance company uh, stationed down there. Obviously on the water, we do a lot of amphibious reconnaissance mm-hmm. stuff. And I was able to uh, really fortunate to be able to stay there for uh, a little over eight years, um, which is kind of rare in the in the Marine Corps. Yeah, y'all
0: know y- y'all move a lot. I mean, we've got yeah. to move a lot, too. Activity is, So
1: Yeah. yeah um, so staying in one place for for that long was was. Good. And then I still stayed at uh at Camp Pendleton. But I had the you know, I, I talked about how I had missed out on the Gulf War and
2: mm-hmm. you know
1: thought that I was uh you know, my chance was up. I'd probably by this time, you know, 13, 14 years in the in the Marine Corps. Now I was a force recon platoon sergeant and you know I had deployed with them a, a few times to different things, but uh and Two thousand one, we were on left on deployment. I'm the platoon sergeant in Darwin, Australia, sitting in a bar having a beer, um, and the you know it's nine o'clock at night, I think, uh, right. and the football game that's on TV switches to the World Trade Center. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> so we knew that you know we were the the Marine Force that was deployed at the time. So uh, very quickly there, thereafter, we were in Afghanistan. Um, you know, and then, you know, finally kind of got to, got to see a little combat there. Got
0: to do your thing. So, um, so I guess, all right. Um, this once again, you're, you're seeing my my ignorance on thing. Now I know that like, um, Mattis did like the longest ever amphibious deployment of the Marines, like, which was ridiculous. Were you a part of that whole operation? Yeah. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: so yeah, we, uh, and I talk about this in the book. It was, um, the, we, we got tasked with the Mew, got tasked with, or the, 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 the Mew ARG, which is the amphibious ready group, so all the Navy ships, and, and everybody, so the Mew commander, um who is a colonel, great guy, you know, comes in, it's like, hey, Daly, you know, I want, you, your guys are going to fly in, in advance of, of everybody, you'll be the first boots on the ground, other than the the SF guys who are up in the mountains, you know, riding around on horses, Um, but it was kind of the same time. So, you know, he's like, Hey, we're going to put you in. You're going to, uh, you know, check out this area, make sure it's safe before we start bringing, bringing people in. And uh, they're like, yeah, we're ready to go, sir.
0: Yeah. So Um, let me like, like contextualize that. So you have the first ever Marine force going in, tasked the first like unit of that first force, then tasked you to go into a place that's controlled by like the Taliban.
2: Correct? Yeah,
1: but, yes. But, but um, so in order to get in, we're like, hey, we need to use special operations, uh, you know, SOCOM mm-hmm. air assets. Right. And uh, when we request them, they, you know, they're like, well, you know, you, know, you guys aren't really special operations guys. So, um, no, well, the SEALs <laughs> will go in instead so at that point i mean we had always had a uh we worked closely with the seals a lot of great guys but we had a a rivalry definitely and that that really set it off right i mean we were uh though they went in um first you know got on the on the ground and there was there was nothing to see at the you know the the place the base that we were going into or the thing we would turn into uh uh, Camp Rhino, it was called Camp Rhino in Afghanistan, right. um, had been a, a uh, an old middle of nowhere in the desert, but uh, falconers, like wealthy uh, right. Iraqis or Afghanis would, uh, you know, come out and, and fly their falcons and hunt with their falcons. Like the Montana <laughs> and, in
0: Afghanistan?
1: Yeah, a big, uh, you know, had an airstrip, um, you know, it needed a little bit of work, but it had some buildings and things. So that was wound up being called FOB Rhino, and that's where we uh, were stationed initially.
0: Right, right. So, what was that like? Whenever you showed up,
1: um, it had been uh, like there was there was nothing there. We were given a little building that was, uh, you know, we kind of crammed all of our guys into. Um, not a whole lot of of understanding of of what the situation was, what was happening. You know, expecting any minute to be overrun by by Taliban. Yeah.
0: Uh, horde,
1: <laughs> Yeah. But, uh, you know, General Mattis came down and talked, uh, you know, with my guys and was like, Hey, we, you know, we've, they're not going to come and attack us. You know, that's, that's not going to happen. You know, we're going to have to take the fight to them. So we, uh, again, my guys this time, you know, we didn't need, uh, you know, anybody's to borrow anybody's aircraft. We launched, uh, about 150 mile uh, vehicle reconnaissance to to find a, a route through the desert into Kandahar, um, which was a, you know, a pretty cool,
0: yeah, experience
1: event. And then uh, you know, once we reconnoitered the route, you know, we brought the you know, some other uh, you know infantry guys and LAVs and and everything else up with us, and uh, was got into a little shootout. There. That was the first, you know, the first uh yeah, you know, with like, said, like 14 life. years in, yeah, first first <laughs> experience for me.
0: Right. Yeah, so you've been in for 14 years, done all this other stuff, and finally you get to like you know, swap some legs. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was uh and I was joking about how it wouldn't happen like <laughs> you know, two minutes before it did
0: right yeah it's like
1: given my track record this isn't much of a yeah yeah i was like yeah boys i'm you know you you bad luck to be with me (laughs) right i'm like a bullet repellent (laughs) right
0: so what was that like your first firefight? then
1: it was uh it was so close i mean it was uh you know 10 feet oh wow uh uh, yeah yeah it was uh, it was uh, we what we did was um put a there's a long road that goes between Kandahar and uh, West out to Lashkagar. And um, now it's part of a, a road that we built that like Rome goes all over right. uh, Afghanistan. But at the time it was uh, the only road for forever in the desert. And it was built up on a a pretty steep berm just right. to keep the, the sand off. Uh, so we strung constantina wire across the road um, mm-hmm. and then Kind of got back uh down on the behind the berm and just waited listened to the the air above uh letting us know when when vehicles were coming and the expectation was that anybody leaving kandahar was bad but right. uh we couldn't be sure of that so um the, the the battalion commander that was there wanted to use the the guys who were kind of trained for that sort of thing so that was the force recon platoon. Um, so eventually we you know some vehicles were coming, and it was it became pretty obvious uh because the lead vehicle would scout ahead you know the other vehicles uh, larger you know trucks and and buses would would pull off into the desert and then you know he would they would get called up and they would kind of move obviously there was something uh yeah, right, something right. was going on
2: right right so they
1: had uh the other vehicles had staged the the lead vehicle which was a dual cab pickup uh drove. And we, you know, driving without headlights, but obviously the air that can, you know.
2: Yeah, right. (laughs) Adam
1: let us know. The the flank security called and said, hey, they're, you know, they're 500 meters out. Um, As they came past us, you know, we could see the, we had put chem lights so that they could identify that there was Constantino wire. I think they saw it and then thought, "Hey, we can try to run this." And I had never <laughs> seen a, a vehicle hit uh, well-laid Constituor on before, but that's in itself is a pretty neat uh, experience. Neat experience. Yeah. So we jumped up onto the the road behind them. Um, my, you know, me, and my guys jumped out of the out of our uh, vehicle. You know, ran up, and I tried to in the back of the the their pickup truck was. And it was cold. This was you know December seventh. Um, right really 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 cold you know i just remember my you know we were not well equipped for, <laughs> for, uh, really cold. we didn't realize we were going to desert uh you know of afghanistan right um, when we when we left home <laughs> right. um oh, i
0: never thought about that so you're in australia you never even got to go like refit rearm they just took you no straight. no we
1: the intent was that we would have we would have gone through the gulf and um but we would have stayed kind of in the warmer warmer areas so we we didn't have a whole lot of of really cold weather gear but it was you know freezing um the uh let's see where were we the the truck the the truck yeah there were three three guys sitting in the back um and they were all bundled up of course because it was really cold there the two of them had their weapons wrapped up in their blankets the the guy in the center had his um out and an old guy and he was he could tell this that he had it wasn't his first rodeo yeah, right? right his hands hands were all chapped and 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 red but he was holding on to his his rifle um and i i yelled just like hey drop your weapons i still was not you know convinced what i didn't want to do is have put my guys into a position where we're shooting somebody and there's a wife, you know, their family or something in the in the truck. So I was I was nervous about that. And uh the I think the worst other than you know being the the marine that that accidentally kills a a child, you know, being the guy who's in charge of the Marine. (laughs) So I I just really didn't want that uh so I told him, you know, just like we always do, man, we make sure they have weapons, you know, make sure there's hostile act, hostile intent. And uh the the thing that I wasn't ready for that I had I had read a little bit about and I heard a little about and it's it uh, as soon as we jumped out as soon as I knew that a fight was getting ready to happen the time like slowed
2: yeah um, and a lot
1: of a lot of people have experienced this but uh, it was my first time and and it, there wasn't as much written about it i think or you know as much talk about it but it was it was so crazy uh time you know it felt like i was moving at normal speed but everybody else was 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 just barely barely moving he was trying to bring his rifle up and i was just having random thoughts i was like i'm gonna you know after i kill this guy i'm gonna take that rifle and we're gonna put it up on a plaque um you know back (laughs) at the unit and just uh you know i'm thinking all this you know and he's really you know trying his best to kill me Uh, and I shot, and the the next thing I noticed was that the you know no earplugs in obviously, but the the the, the rounds you know sounded like nothing like popcorn like pop 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 um yeah. I started noticing that you know I was really really focused on that center guy, yeah. and it was you know kind of t- tunnel vision that yeah. which you know happens um. So I really had to force myself to like, look around to see what was going on, look around to make sure that the guys on my left and right were, were good. Um, so we wound up uh, dealing with the guys in the back, the guys in the front were trying to, it was a, as many people as could, it was like a clown car. They were just crammed <laughs> in there because it was freezing cold. Right. Um, so they're piling out, you know, we're uh, <laughs> shooting them as they do. And uh, then the, the truck bed, which hadn't really struck me, but the truck bed was piled relatively high. um, Catches on fire. Um, And it was, what it was full of was, you know, RPGs, you know, cases of RPGs, ammunition. (laughs) So this, these things start cooking off. (laughs) So we, we wind up, you know, breaking contact, bound back, you know, make sure everything's good. Um, Called in a, uh, the, the air that was, was overhead to, you know, drop a couple bombs there and then, Drop a whole bunch of bombs on the all the trucks and buses uh, that were parked out in the desert.
2: Right. So
1: that was that was it. Yeah, my first that was first uh, first gunfight, and right. uh, it it wound up. I mean, the, I think that night, all told, you know, we eliminated over a hundred uh, Taliban. You know, between all the vehicles. So,
0: right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always like astounded me the numbers as early on in Afghanistan. It was like, well, there's three of us and we killed 400. <laughs> it's just, it's out of control. But it's just the, the skill and resource difference between the two are just.
2: Phenomenal. Yeah. Well, ours,
1: I mean, most of ours was, you know, thanks to the, the, yeah the the, the, the guys in the, in the air. Right. So, um. so how long were you in Afghanistan for the first, you know, chunk? Just, uh, we weren't there for, for, we were only there for a couple of months and uh then another marine expeditionary unit came in and they they switched out Mm -hmm. so the two the generally we will have two marine expeditionary units one for the east coast and one for the west coast at sea at all times and occasionally another one from okinawa but uh so they like to keep kind of keep them moving so um that second marine expeditionary unit came in um and then relieved us and we got back on on track
0: back on back on the ship and off you go yeah yeah <laughs> okay so um what's your wife think about all this because like you know you, you kind of like bait and switched her like it's like hey look this is what being a marine is and guess <laughs> what <laughs> Welcome <to> the desert.
1: <laughs> yeah it was uh definitely uh kind of an eye-opener for her mm-hmm. um the one thing and it's you know i think she would agree that, you know, being, I mean, I think anybody would agree, right. Being a military spouse is, is most times harder, you know, than, than being a, a military service member. Um, and at the time, you know, I didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it, you know, that, uh, you know, I was by some fluke, I was on, uh, the news, like just they panned and and panned over my face in
2: uh
1: in Afghanistan like right right before Christmas, and my kids were like, "Hey, Dad. <laughs> right. um so she you know obviously knew i I was there you know communications at that point were were really once we got on the ground shut off you know there yeah. were no uh there was no way to communicate if we had i mean i don't uh I was still quite a few years from having a cell phone i think in in two thousand and one yeah. um yeah. And if I did, it wouldn't have worked there anyway. So we would, you know, you wait on in lines, you know, for the five phones that the ship has, the the ship to shore phones that you can satellite Mm -hmm. phones. Um, So, yeah, all that time she's, you know, taking care of the family, you know, this completely, you know, I'd gone on a deployment. I've done that plenty of times, but, you know, normally we I'm emailing her from or, or writing letters from. Right. Singapore, you know, from the UAE, from Bahrain, wherever. Um, right. Then this 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 time obviously was you know a lot different. So you know everything that she had um, going on, everything that America had you know going on at that time, which is one of the weird things that uh, like that's kind of a an experience that you know while you know for us was very very different. Like people think of nine eleven and and all of the. Uh, the
2: drama, yeah, of that.
1: the terror that was going on, the scaredness, but also all of the, you know, how awesome Americans were, you know, to each other, and yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. all the outpouring of patriotism. Like I totally missed, <laughs> I missed <laughs> right. that.
2: <laughs>
0: right, because you're in
2: Australia, so
0: yeah, that's that's a pretty, pretty uh, interesting experience. So like, um so all right, so so you're in Afghanistan, you rotate out, you get back on the ship. Then then where do you go from there?
1: Uh, we went actually we went back to Australia.
2: Hmm.
1: But uh we were on at that point we were on our way home. Um yeah. so they they you know dropped us off in, in Sydney for and just gave us like four days. They're like, hey, just do your thing, <laughs> right? right. Um, then uh we got back on and I think after that, I think then we went to Perth, Australia okay. for like another four days and they were it's like, hey, you all need to kind of sow your wild oats get whatever out of your system
2: there right. was a
1: whole lot of a whole lot of drinking a whole lot of uh you know wildness running around going on um and then we headed back i think we stopped in hawaii maybe just i mean ships have to stop uh yeah. periodically right so we stopped there for a couple of days and then made our way home
0: okay what was coming home like then
1: um it was Always, I mean, anybody that's deployed, you know, coming home is is especially if you're married, right? Is yeah. uh, and have kids. It's a unique experience, right? You're coming back, and I talk about this in the book a good bit. That uh, you know, you you want to be back, reassert yourself. Is like, hey, you know, let's do this. Let's, uh, uh, Dad's home. We can uh, right. fly by the seat of our pants. But you know, the, the six months or whatever you're gone, you know, my wife had had you know, done a very good job of having rules, having, um, you know, setting processes in place to, one, make sure all of the, the you know, the mountain of work that she had to do, like both, being both right. parents, happened. Um, but also that she could, like, maintain her sanity and the kids got, you know, got their work done, that were learning responsibility, all of the, all of those things. And it can be, uh, you know, troublesome, you know, when yeah. the, the, the good-time dad comes and... home and...
2: <laughs> and wants
1: to, uh, you know, <laughs> take you know, wipe all the rules off the table for a while. So I learned, you know, relatively early on that, you know, you gotta, you gotta stick with the program. Right, right? right. You know, I'm just, uh, at times, you know, I was really kind of joked to like being a visitor in the house right. because if it wasn't deployed, it was training is at schools or things. And, uh, particularly in, in Fort Recon, we were just a lot of training required. So just, uh, and I, I was also not, uh, you know, I also probably spent, you know, when you in the teams, we were just incredibly tight. So, you know, we would come back from being deployed together for six months. And then I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to go over to the, hang out with the boys tonight. and Like, so, so which, which she tolerated to a a degree. Um, But yeah, I wasn't always as, as conscientious, I think of, you know, my role as, as I should have been
0: right 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 that makes sense um so like uh force recon like what like my understanding is you have like like recon and you have like force recon is mm-hmm. that correct so like what are their roles
1: in the fleet so uh it's there's the recon battalion mm-hmm. and they are the uh the battalion uh, battalion asset right okay. so they um will work for the like on the, on the Mew, they, um, work for the battalion commander. Like they, uh, are responsible and we, we do, we go through most of the same training, you know, a lot of the same, a lot of people bounce back and forth. Um, but it's, it really just has to do with, with who you work for, uh, with force recon, we work for the force commander. So the landing force commander. So we worked technically directly for general Mattis,
2: um,
1: when, when we got into Afghanistan, although he, you know, we, our direction came from the mu commander. So on a, on a Mew, we would work for the, you know, at the direction of the mu commander, the battalion recon platoon would work at the direction of their own battalion commander.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. All right. That makes sense.
1: So then, then our missions differ and this has all changed somewhat since, uh, MARSOC came around, right. but, uh, the, we also had in force recon, the direct action mission. So we would go through, a. Uh, the MEW, a Marine Expeditionary Unit, is comprised of a, a battalion landing team, um, you know, with their battalion recon and, and everything associated, uh, an air component, so we'll have the Harriers and and, and uh, helicopters, and then a support group, a support component, and then the boats, right? And that's, um, the MEW has 13, I believe, like special missions that make them a, a special operations Entity,
2: okay. um,
1: among them are you know, an, an extremist hostage rescue, uh, uh, gas oil platform seizures, ship uh, search and seizures, uh, embassy evacuations, noncombatant evacuations. All of these missions, most of them, the force recon platoon was was heavily involved in. Right. So that mi- that mission kind of separated the force recon platoon from the the battalion recon
2: platoon
0: okay so it's kind of like a a swiss army knife for the marine corps where you just like take you guys and do all the weird stuff that a whole battalion is probably not suited for yeah Yeah. okay so all right so um so what happens next like so like you get back from uh afghanistan and uh tearing up the whole pacific ocean (laughs) on the way home uh what do you do what happens then
1: um so at this point I had been at, at uh Force Recon for I like think a little over eight years and the kind of the writing was on the wall I needed to go somewhere. <laughs> right. So I went uh to the special operations training group and took over the what was called the urban reconnaissance and sniper section.
2: Okay. So
1: for about uh and there had been some rumblings that that hey the the Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld has told the Marine Corps that they're gonna make a unit that would be attached to SOCOM. the they quickly is, quickly re-
0: Yeah, I don't want to break, break you up, but like what was the reasoning behind that? Like, you know, because there's thing you get see so you have CAG, you have all these other people to so like, why did they want something from you guys?
1: Well, they wanted uh there was the recognition that we didn't have enough special operations oh, Okay. forces. So uh army sf was told to i think they created another group um the seals were told to make more seal teams uh mm-hmm. that you know the air force pjs everybody uh increased right. their capability and when when socom was established in 1987 the marine corps had, had said hey we don't want in um uh, the the smart money was that the, you know force recon would have gone over at that time right but uh the Commandant was said, hey, we're not we're not gonna do it. We're going to uh kind right. of create this uh Marine Expeditionary Unit, special operations capable. And um so that had been our stance. But it when this happened, the uh, Secretary Rumsfeld told the Marine Corps, hey, I want you to do this thing. Marine Corps again said, No, we, we really don't. We're we're cool. Uh um, right. US SOCOM said, no, we're we're good, man. We don't don't need any help. <laughs> right. um, and the secretary of defense said, "Hey, I didn't stutter, right? You're right. you're doing this." So I had only been uh, so we had kind of hearing the rumblings about this, but it just as it happens, my boss, uh, the the commanding officer that had been my boss at, at First Force Recon, became the commanding officer of the Special Operations Training Group where I was now working, and he uh, called me up one day and said, "Hey, have you heard these rumors?" And I was like, yeah, I have. He's like, well, I'm in charge of it. Um, you want <laughs> in? Yes, I do. Uh very much so. So he uh it was fortunate Colonel Bob Coates was like a legend. Um, but he had the ability to f- pick who he wanted to start this this unit that was uh roughly initially it was supposed to be about 87 folks total, and it was about 30, you know, force recon guys about a 30 man, uh, intelligence section. And then, you know, communicators and the JTACs and all, all the other supply guys and admin folks, all the things that you need to make a organization run. Right. Um, we wound wound up growing a little bit larger to about a hundred and some, but so we became the U S special operations command attachment one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, uh, that was our, our job was to either prove or disprove that the Marine Corps should be in- <laughs> involved. So calm. Yeah.
0: Right. And I guess, I'm guessing y'all's, y'all's motivation was to prove that you that you, you had a place.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Right. One, I, you know, the first thing that came into my head was, you know, I'll never get told that, you know, we can't go on a mission again because of <laughs> the aircraft or, or whatever.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. uh, that's a pretty cool deal. Um, so, like, what was the Marine Corps' uh, like? What was a rationale? Was it just a pride thing that, like, no, we're our own thing, or or what was like I, I, why did they want to be involved?
1: I think there's there's just Marine Corps is, uh, a cult, right? Yeah, I mean, it's right. it's it's a, it's a good good cult, but it's a cult, you know. I love it, <laughs> but uh, there's I mean, the Marine Corps, we've just always been been very territorial, you know, right. and we're uh, you know reluctant to let our people go, yeah. uh, you know, to you know work for somebody else or, or whatever the case is um we're also you know it's just tiny all right so yeah, uh, right. cutting away when um you know t- you know, 30 force recon guys that it took to make that detachment was you know mm-hmm. one of 10 force recon or maybe you know one of 12 that existed uh right. globally so it was uh, a huge commitment um yeah. And so that that was a, a part of it the, the Marine Corps has is also always and this goes back to the original Raiders of World War Two. Um, never really liked to for anyone, any other Marine to consider themselves special. Right. <laughs> you know, that's been a thing that uh, there was a, a quote and I uh, I wish I could remember the general's name that said it back in World War Two. That said, you know, attaching something like along the lines of attaching any other name to Marine is is. Uh, Superfluous. Right. right. So like a Marine Raider or Marine <laughs> uh commandos. Originally the the World War II Raiders were going to be called commandos. Um but he's like, yeah, calling them anything else, but Marines is is, is superfluous.
0: Right, right? right. But I like the um I like the pride and audacity in that, but like for branding's sake, it's not <laughs> very uh you know, it's not it's not the smartest move, but whatever. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh say so you, your stand up MARSOC What did that look like?
1: So we first, we stand up this unit, Detachment 1, um, and did a a quick, kind of quick train up and deployed to Iraq with, under the command of a a Navy SEAL task group. Mm -hmm. Um, Just to, and I was kind of the, they were the big daddy to to keep eyes on us and and provide all of the uh, plugins to, to US SOCOM, right? Right, right. So that deployment was uh, really successful. Um, we did a lot of the things that we expected to do, which was a lot of direct action, a lot of you know just grabbing a lot of bad guys. Um, we also did a lot of sniping. So I was able to to take you know my whole background and and apply that in places like Najaf and Hawija and and um, right. for a, a good for a chunk of time we were responsible for providing security detail for the interim Iraqi government.
2: Right. So we
1: had the, the vice president of Iraq that we, were, you know, we we're responsible for his, and he was a Kurd. So the, the, Sh- the Sh- Sunnis uh, and the Shias all, yeah, everybody had, hated the Kurds. Right. So he was, he was kind of the, probably the most wanted man in Iraq for a little <laughs> bit. Um, and it was our job to keep him alive. So that was, that was fun. So overall, I mean, all in all a great, great deployment. Um, you know we came back from that deployment, and the, the Marine Corps and Socom were still like, you know, hey this the test was was good, but you know we, we everybody thinks they're they're good. Let's stick with the, the status quo." And again, you know, Donald Rumsfeld weighed in and said, "No, you guys, you're, you're going to do this thing right. um, So they went from uh, you know us a hundred guys to uh, you know a several thousand man organization that they kind of got directed to stand up. Right. Pretty quickly. Right. 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 So I uh, then and it was going to be based primarily in North Carolina. Right. So I um, it was one of the f- I think only two of us initially that left California, came out here to help get it started. Um, so I came out to the school to kind of build a, a school um, and you know, spent a couple of years doing that, retired in 2008. And right like i said i wouldn't leave so i kept hanging around so they, <laughs> right. they finally gave, gave me a job
0: they hired you it's a 2008 so uh, you've been so you've been uh there running the schoolhouse for for quite a while now
1: yeah i think i'm very very close to uh 15 years as a as a civilian
0: wow so yeah
1: yeah hard, um, hard to believe
0: yeah that, like, i wouldn't like um you don't look like you would have basically like two careers under your your belt so
1: i know well i I don't know. I feel like it. You know, like you're talking <laughs> about right. knees, knees and ankles, elbows and yeah. shoulders. You said that. So the first uh, deployment
0: that that Marsock had, that you said that y'all were in D- Najaf. Were you there when the two uh, Army uh, Apaches got shot da- shot down? No,
1: no. Um, we were there in 2004. Oh, okay. Yeah, So well, I, it was
0: not too long after that.
1: No, was it may r- have. This, uh, yeah, there was there were a couple of battles of Najaf. Um, yeah. I, I think the one that we were in was the, I don't, I'm not sure if it was the biggest one, but it was, uh, we were actually with the two seven cav uh, attached with the army's two seven cav. So yeah, that was a good, good Good time. time.
0: Uh, Like you, you finally shook off your uh, bullet repellent.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was neat. I mean, it was um, the, the, so in Najaf, there's this mosque, right? Mm-hmm. It's the Imam Ali Mosque, and it's the, I think, the third holiest site in Islam. I mean, right. it, it's a, it's, it's a really cool. When you see it, you like, you almost want to convert, man. It's it's, right, it's, right. it's really cool looking. Um, gold. The the dome uh, of it is is covered in gold, like real gold tiles. It's like right. seven hundred and seventy seven, uh, or seven thousand um you know, gold tiles that that, that cover this thing. And it was, uh, I, I researched it much more after the fact, but, uh, you know, uh, one of the chapters in my book talks about that. Um, and in fact, uh, kind of the, the one of the, my first attempts at writing was that story,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, about a, uh, a young guy that I shot, right. He was, I, he wasn't as young as I remember him, right. right. But he was, a uh, he Had an RPK, so you know, what are you gonna do? All um, right. but uh, it's you know, one of those things when you know, I would do it you know, a million you know, a hundred times in that situation, I would do it a hundred times, but it's uh, still, it doesn't mean that it won't come back and haunt you a little yeah.
2: bit, oh yeah, you
1: yeah. know, so it's and it's not even uh, regret really, it's just kind of like you know, man, you you made me do it, didn't you?
0: Yeah, right, so yeah, you know, like a a traumatic situation that those echo through like a lot of people don't realize that um but like you you have something like that happen and you just it's like it just kind of like echoes yeah. as the years go by so
1: yeah there's the idea of, of moral injury that's yeah. like you know like a lot of people don't uh you know be you know become amazed when years later something you kind know, of bubbles up you know that yeah. you kind of stuff down and and you know even in that case like i said in that case Ethically, it was it was the right thing to do. You know, I would do it again today. You yeah, know, if it, if the situation presented itself again. But there's a lot of um, what I call or what I call like wrong versus wrong decisions. I mean, you've got to, you're stuck between right. making two, two bad choices. And uh, I think those, when those, you know, you're faced with those, you open yourself up to the potential for you know moral injury. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no,
0: it's a real thing. Um, And One of the cool things that I think came out of the whole global war on terror is like a very real conversation about like, okay, well, like, what is just like general mental health disorders? What is actually, you know, PTSD? And what is moral injury? And moral injury is one of those things that like, I think was talked about in certain circles, but really wasn't Mm -hmm. explored. But like, I mean, whenever... I became a chaplain like that was like one of the the first chaplain like books that I read was it's called Moral Injury and it's just basically exploring mm-hmm. that and all of a sudden you, you start to see like this looks like something that you see in like PTSD but it has different markers and you can kind of point it out and then you, the way you treat that is like totally different than you do everything else right it's more of a spiritual type thing it's more of a, a moral ethical like judgment on yourself so
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and I think that was you're right that wasn't i had never heard the term you know, yeah. before uh before this nobody thought about that yet yeah it's, you know, shell shock or whatever you know yeah right that, right that, you know or, or ptsd had become like lumped you know it's like a lump <laughs> diagnosis for everybody for everything anywhere, everywhere, everywhere <laughs> right. all at
2: once right?
0: right 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 no yeah so that's kind of like a, um, one of the good things i think that came out of it so um uh now it this is almost kind of a, almost like a personal curiosity question, so like, we met via the, the uh the dead reckoning collective right and so yeah yeah you're you just published your your first book, how did you get tied in with those guys?
1: oh, I don't even know um I think I saw their just their posts yeah online and uh you know started following them, yep and I don't. I, I, like a lot of things that I get into. You know, Worth Parker has something to do with it. because you know, he's he's very gregarious. I mean, he's always meeting people and making connections, and yeah, yeah, yeah. much more so than I am. So I, I, he may well he may well have been the 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 initial uh, connection. But I don't. I think I bought. I think this cup I've been drinking out of was like the right. Uh, you know, I've I bought that and. Uh, started following them and i i think one of their their poetry collections you know i was like what the hell i'll i'll, I'll give it a whirl you know i send in a Mark couple himself. of
2: yeah. a
1: couple of things um and uh yeah just i mean they're great great people you know with a great mission so yeah, yeah. through them i've got uh i think it, pre-read uh a couple of luke ryan's books mm-hmm. uh, right. the former former ranger i mean a fascinating story and i you know got to meet him in person uh, cool. just relatively recently mason Rodriguez is a
2: mm-hmm.
1: as uh, a poetry collection through them there's like serious serious grunt <laughs> grunt poetry it's really yeah, really right. good um, and he just uh he, him uh he just won an award a rink or heritage award for that
0: oh really
1: um yeah, and Worth Worth won one as well for yeah, uh, I, an essay.
0: I saw that uh, Worth posted like the recognition letter or, or whatever, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah, hey, that's pretty cool." So, yeah, I was gonna try to uh, uh, reach. He was the next on my my list to reach out to, to get him on here because I'm sure he's got a pretty interesting story too. So. Oh
2: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Him and then uh, Casey Tellison that wrote uh, the book Freaks of a Feather, which is a really really good memoir. If you're a, if you're young infantry. It's definitely worth, yeah, definitely worth a read.
0: Oh, interesting. Well, so, like, um, you're uh, – and I found this to be true with a lot of, like, really high-achieving operators is that, like, it's almost like this weird two sides of a coin that, like, whereas you have this, like – I am a special operations dude on, on one side, but then you flip around the other side and it's like you're writing poetry. I know another guy that like <laughs> he he does like these weird pencils or not they're not weird they're really good pencil sketches, but it's weird how detailed they are. And it's like, hang on a minute, like this is not what I saw coming out of you. And you're sitting there talking about like you're poetry <laughs> and stuff. So speak to that. That's just this interesting dynamic.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think um that like guy had an artistic side when I joined the Marine Corps and the Marine yeah. Corps kind of stifled it you know <laughs> Like, his, yeah, but if i was going to be successful i needed to kind of keep that under wraps you know right, um right. but uh you know when i retired you know i was fortunate that i i mean I was fortunate it was a ton of work but i was able to get a finish my bachelor's while i was in uh use mm-hmm. just using tuition assistance um and i got a bachelor's in homeland security studies i thought i was going to go into like corporate uh Right. private protect protection executive protection or or something um but when i retired it's like hey i've got this gi bill you know what what do i want to do with it and i was like yeah, what i don't want to do is anything that i don't want to do right? Yeah, right so i i signed up for uh um a uh liberal arts master's degree program at from the university of north carolina in wilmington just down the road and was just like i could take i mean i love to read so I, I, I can just take all these literature classes and so that's primarily you know i took some religion classes just things to curious you know i was curious about i just yeah. you know let me learn all this stuff um i was taking classes on fairy tales and the origins of <laughs> uh, just whatever <laughs> um right. you just burn it and during yeah. during that uh i had always kind of fancied myself as a writer i'd written some articles for like marine corps magazines and things of that nature but uh yeah, you know, during that master's program one of the professors was like hey you know you, you seem to really like this you know why don't you you look into this master of fine arts uh writing degree program that, that wellington has and it's was one of the the like top three in the country so i'm like you know there's no way i'll get in you have to apply to it but i'm just like ah, uh, why not you know right. i still have gi bill left so i'll i'll apply <laughs> so i Right. I applied, and the only thing that I had written to send was that story about Najaf. Right. That, uh, um, and you know, but you know, they they let me in. Um, right, and you know, having the 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 ability to spend three years around writers and poets, and you know, it was most of them younger than me. Um, not all, <laughs> but uh, most of them, um, almost all of them, you know, uh, very very. Far, way far left of of any left you've ever seen. Yeah, dude, um, you're like
0: sticking way out.
1: <laughs> so it was, it was. I mean, it's changed. I changed a lot. I think in that time, you know, because it was it was really neat, and I think it's one of the things that you know we, by virtue of our our work, you know, and it may be a little bit different in the the guard and the reserves, you know, somewhat, yeah. but you know you're. I only dealt with people who were exactly like me. Right. So you're right. a total, total echo chamber. And we're, you know, we're traditionally one, one way. So, yeah. you know, I could have, and, and I think there's plenty of people to do, go to college and like, Hey, I'm just gonna, you know, right. curl up in my corner. And, but uh, it was really neat to talk to all these, these people and, and listen to their, their thoughts, their opinions, their you know, their perceptions about, you know, what the military is. And, right. um, and I mean, all of them are really, really nice, <laughs> right? yeah. they weren't uh you know they were eager to answer questions uh, you know, it's my first experience really um that I was aware of, like really talking to to gay people, transgender people, just like, well, wow, like, man, let's
2: yeah
1: yeah, and they were asking the same thing of me. they're like, you, know, why would you do this and that like you know it's it's cool that we can sit here and talk about this and not you know be at each other's throats
0: right right yeah man that's such a that's such a wild and uh crazy diet <laughs> uh, yeah
1: it could have been it could have made a in fact there was at one point when i was a kid i think or uh, before i joined the military there was a sitcom it was like a retired marine and living in a, a dorm room with a you know 18 year old college kid right um so i didn't live in a dorm room obviously with anybody <laughs> but it was it could have been a it could have been a sitcom <laughs> right right right
0: um uh, so do you feel like it, that uh so you said you, the only thing that you had written at that point was uh your your piece on the Joff with, okay. with the kid do you feel like that that writing uh like kind of helped you process the experience
1: definitely um yeah hugely that's that that um essay or whatever that i wrote about a Joff is like i said it's largely become a chapter in mm-hmm. the the book um but that was—I still think that's one of the better, best things I've ever written. Um, yeah. And it—it uh, it definitely made me think a lot differently. You know, gave me the opportunity to think it through and and um, process it. And that's that's why I'm kind of a, a big stickler, you know, for the
2: uh, for the Dead Reckoning
1: Rickon Rickon. guys or yeah. the um, Lethal Minds Journal and these yeah. these other places that encourage uh, veterans to write. Yeah, uh, because I think it's or or make art or poetry or draw or whatever, you yeah. know, do something yeah. different.
0: Yeah. So like uh, I'm coming from a chaplain's perspective. So like uh, I keyed in on that, that it was helpful for me to write out my thoughts in seminary because seminary is basically like it's 90 hours of writing some variety of stuff a lot of times it's like stuff that was put you to sleep but like you know it's still just writing and so like it always helped me organize my thoughts so as i got became a chaplain i would i'd have these people that would come in and you could just tell that they're they have all these emotions and thoughts and they're just garbled stuff. i was like man you just need to write this down if not even for me just for you just to help organize it and then come back and I started seeing real progress with people just just simply like because it's it's just a process thing. And then the more that I studied counseling, the more I realized like oh like this is actually a technique. You know this is the yeah. thing. You know and so uh, so I would I would encourage people to do it. So it's super cool to hear you basically have the same kind of self discovery experience. And I know that Worth um, had that's how he got his whole writing career kind of started was that he wrote mm-hmm. that uh, one thing on uh, guys that died or his dog or, or or whatever and then that really kind of launched him um so yeah like it and to for uh to kind of like sh- show you like the um uh, the brigade sub stack part of the reason that i, I kind of pushed to get that going was to create a venue to do that now there's a there's a there's a lot of things that are going on with both recruiting but also and with uh you know officer development and just try to encourage people to think like your writing is just basically thinking on paper um but another one is just like here's a venue for you to, to like learn this skill that in mass like that you just have it you can go and you can sit around and write in a notebook at, at your house you don't have to publish it it just it helps you so much um so it's yeah. kind of cool to hear you so basically echo the same thing so
1: yeah yeah and i should like the more i've been around other veterans that write i mean once you you kind of it's very easy, and kind of when I was in the the uh, writing program, kind of felt like a, I was you know out apart from everybody else, like they were all right. real writers and, and and professionals, and I was this this weird old guy who was, uh had spent a life you know in the marine corps and and I was trying to do something new. Um, but then you you start recognizing that, hey man, there's this this massive community of of veteran writers um,
2: yeah.
1: it's it's really cool. And like you said, even if and the, the places like the Lethal Minds Journal, mm-hmm. um, that you know Dead Reckoning does, you know the classes, but places that you you don't have to be great at it, right? You just got to be willing to to work and you know, there yeah. are people that will work with you and help you tell your story better.
2: Um,
0: yeah, and so well, it's it's I think it's super cool. Like um, I, I kind of had the same experience because like I I always wrote, but I always wrote in like a I turned the, the the light off and like, okay, no one can see me do this. And I've been doing it for years. I had like a blog. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to make money off of this and stuff. And then uh, basically the same thing, I, I stumbled across the Dead Reckoning Collective on Instagram one day working the battalion's Instagram because it was like it was mm-hmm. all military stuff. And it kind of came, came in, you know, the algorithm basically recommended it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, "This is actually pretty cool." And uh, then I started kind of like, the more I kind of pulled at it, the more you started realize like, "Oh, there's a lot of these people that are doing this." And then my first Dead Reckoning kind of event that I attended, I was like, "Oh my gosh, the, this is these are my people!" Like, you know,
2: like, <laughs>
0: and I uh, I've loved it ever since. So it, I wish they'd had more uh, more classes. Um, yeah, yeah, but I uh, I don't want to keep it too long. We've already kind of gone gone over. But I do tell us about your book. Um,
1: um, so it will be coming. It's done. All right. It's, I um, mean, there'll <laughs> be the back and forth with uh, the editor and everything, but it's, uh, it's tentative, tentatively titled Tough Rugged Bastards, which was right. something that our, our boss uh, demanded of us, I guess. And it's, it really talks about my life during that time of, of standing up to the, the special operations unit. Right. Um the debt one and then the beginnings of Marsock It bounces a little bit, you know, back into it actually starts on 911 in that bar in, in Darwin, uh, right. Australia. Um, but it'll hopefully will be coming out in the fall um okay. from Post Hill Press. And uh I have also the Substack. Um mm-hmm. that I don't it's easy. It's like five minutes to read, but it's uh at uh, John or I'm sorry, was it? Jdaly
2: Right, uh, right. But
1: it, it's called Think, Read, Write, Repeat.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, just once a week, you know, talks kind of about leadership, about self improvement, and then a yeah. book recommendation, some good quotes or whatnot. Yeah,
0: you got some really good stuff on there, man. I, I look forward to it in my inbox every as It comes out well, every Tuesday, Thanks.
1: Every Thursday.
0: Thursday. Yeah. I'd the Thursday. Tea, so.
2: so,
1: yeah, I appreciate anybody uh checking it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um it, how can people find you if they want to contact you? What's the best way to do it?
1: Um, probably on there at on yeah. the, the Substack, um, yeah. the uh, at jdaily.substack.com. Yeah. That can...
0: yeah, so this will go out on uh, on all of our, all of the eighty first Brigade's uh, yeah. social media accounts, and um, in the link in the bio on Instagram, there will be a, a link to the Raven Report, which is our Substack, and you're going to be a recommended read on there. Uh, so awesome. They can follow that. So and the way Substack yeah. seems to work is that like if we if you recommend somebody, it sends the it kind of cross pollines the followers, right? Yeah. And so
1: yeah. And then on on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, I think I have a, a whatever you want to call it, a presence it's called walking point. Yeah, right. ORG. Um and that I just put little motivational quotes and, and things like that right, on right. there. So you feel free to check that out.
0: Yeah, which platform are you most active on? Just you yourself?
1: I I none of. I try not to be. Um,
2: <laughs> I've really been actually.
1: trying. To, I've really been trying to cut down. <clears throat> probably uh, Instagram. Yeah. And, and LinkedIn. I mean, I try to do more professional stuff on on LinkedIn. But yeah. Uh, yeah, Twitter. I really try not to even open it if I can avoid it. And yeah. And yeah. Facebook has kind of become the same way.
0: Yeah. No. Like. Uh. So. Um, I've become kind of like the the social media sme, And I tell people that all the time is that like Twitter is like chaos land, especially since Musk took it over. It's just like craziness. I remember during the George Floyd riots, i had found a website that would help you link all the, or map all the bots. It was super cool. Like you can pull it up and you say oh. like, well, this, this is most likely a bot and it's linked to all these others and stuff. And you could just, it was almost like, like a, looking through a social network analysis. Right. And, uh, and then, yeah, like uh, Facebook is, Mostly now for like old people and stuff, it's gotten so clunky that uh, it's hard to, to use. So, Instagram really is probably, yeah, your best yeah. bet.
2: Yeah,
1: TikTok, tick, I haven't uh even, even broached that yet.
0: So, no, do so, like, It's all gonna get banned because it's all about. I, I did a a a, a podcast that will come out later uh with uh, a guy named uh, Brad Marble. he's the the army's like um uh China SME, he wrote the ATP on China. And he was basically like, "Oh, TikTok, don't do that." <laughs> so, so it's kind of like you don't have it. So. Yeah. All right, all right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I, I absolutely uh, love it. I I never knew your your whole story, so it's kind of it's yeah. super cool to hear uh, all the backgrounds uh, of, of the the John Daly that I know. So. Oh.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It was, it was great. I enjoyed the, the opportunity. Thanks for
0: joining us. This has been the Raven Report, the official podcast of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team of the Washington National Guard. You can connect with us on Instagram, Discord, and Substack. And as always, we're looking for tomorrow's thinkers, leaders, and soldiers to fight with us and win. Until next time.